everyone. Good day. And Good welcome evening. to the first ever uh, late PM installment of <laughs> Hilliard Beacon Audio the Companion. Sun's still up, though, it's not yeah, that late. fair enough. It's only six thirty, everybody. This donut man does not stay up past eight if it can be helped. Uh, well, good to see our streak continues. We're off track immediately. Uh, but getting right back on track, this is uh, election special number three. We are hosting, it seems this week, a slate of school board candidates. Not a slate necessarily, but a, a grouping of school board candidates we're getting through. We had Kelly Arnold in uh, last week, and we are now hosting uh, another candidate for school board and a candidate for re-election as it turns out, one Mr. Brian Perry. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys for having me. I'm joined to my left by Mr. Tim Hoffman. Good evening. Ooh, sultry and dulcet. And to my right by Kevin Corvo. Good evening. Oh, that was... Good evening. What's paper- like Orson Welles here? Good evening. <laughs> that was papery. Good evening. Papery and uh, to the point. Good job, Kevin. So tonight, guys, we are all here together to uh, talk to Brian Perry, a candidate for re-election to Hilliard City School Board. <clears throat> Brian, this is not your first rodeo, uh, as they say. Give me right up top uh, a chance to throw it to Tim Hoffman. Uh, we are going to talk through what we're doing here tonight, uh, but because this is our first rodeo, specifically speaking, for uh, the Hilliard Beacon, our first era of election coverage. So, Tim, take it away. Tell us what we're doing and how we're going to do it. Well, very briefly, uh, we are making our studio available to every candidate who's running for elected office in Hilliard, be it city council, school board. We're happy to talk to Norwich uh, County Board of Trustees. Township and uh, Brown Township. Brown Township, yes. Uh, And we want to provide a convivial atmosphere where you can come and talk about what's important to you. We have questions for you, but the idea is it's not a time-constrained interview. We can get into the nitty-gritty on issues that matter to you. Um, We're here. We're glad that you're here, and we are just happy to give you a chance to speak at length. So, uh, folks, when they're considering who they're voting for, get a really good idea of of what they are going to get if they vote for and elect you. Um, the idea is uh, to be uh, fraternal, convivial. Um, people who run for public office locally like this, uh, we all feel are, you know, it takes a civic mind to do that. And so we appreciate that and we want to... Uh, we want to honor that and make sure that uh, you're comfortable and, and, and happy to been, be in here to talk to us. That's uh, that's kind of what we're going for here. So thank you. Thank you for coming, Brian. Well, of course. Yeah, it, it takes a civic mind. It takes some kind of mind, I'll tell you. <laughs> something. I got very, very lost and ended up on school board. <laughs> that, well, something like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so this is this is your second time around. Brian, you ran uh, first in 2020. So this is my fourth time up for this election, for this seat, but um, no one remembers the first two. I like to forget them, too. No, I ran when I was 20, uh, when I, in, back in 2011, I was 18. Oh and, gosh. yeah, I actually signed the, um, the paperwork from the, the Franklin County Board of Elections in study hall at Darby. Wow. <laughs> wow. And um, with, in, I got the paperwork and the, my voter registration from class from a school board candidate in Dublin now, Amy Messick. But um, I ran when I was 18 and I, I lost. <laughs> Didn't come in last, but I lost. And then I ran again when I was 22 and I lost again. And uh, I was 20, I think 14, somewhere around there. And then... I ran when I was 26, and that was 2019. That that uh, yeah, and I won that one. And now I'm 30, and I'm up again. Yeah, I gotta say though, if you are afraid to lose, you shouldn't run to begin with. That's no. just upfront and a, a stated expectation. And I just also wanted to mention too, uh, this is this has been your professional life, right? Is that from school to now, this has been your your primary your primary work experience. Well, yeah, for the for the most part, um, I actually have a full time position. I've been there since December. Now I've uh, I'm a full time attorney, labor and employment law in Hilliard. Um, so I 
Because you, gradu- you were going to law school the whole time. You were doing all these things well, I, I, concurrently. I ran while I was a freshman in college, went and got a um, bachelor's degree, political science, minor in history, with a uh, pre-law most, track. The most useful degree. Mm-hmm. Mm. One that means that you have to go get more education. So <laughs> then ran while I was at Capitol. And then uh, between that run and when I actually, you know, was able to be elected to the board, uh, I went and got a law degree. So <laughs> I was a little, a little bit busy. I skipped a cycle because I was a little busy getting a law degree. And um, I think it's honestly, I think it's worth, you know, having done because first of all, the, what I've learned is incredible. I'm so much more qualified than I would have been at 18. Uh, I, I took that perspective, but now I can back it up with a little bit of, you know, education as well. Um, so no, so that's kind of what I've been up to and then decided I wanted to give back. And now I'm, I think better position to be able to give back. What uh, what would you say has been the most beneficial part of that education background, the law degree, that kind of uh, oh, analytical studying mindset? When it comes to joining, as you said, a volunteer situation where you're trying to serve with integrity. Okay. What is it? What does that mean? Not technically volunteer. I get $125 a meeting. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> can't forget the, can't no, forget the yeah, stipend. The, be- the benefits, yeah. Uh, that's why we do this. Um, yeah, so I think I, le- I make like less than 3000 bucks a year or something. But um, no, but that's a, that's a good question. I think that it's more than one answer. It's not just, you know, the ability to understand, you know, legal research and writing. A lot of what we do on the school board, a lot of it is, uh, comes directly from the state house. comes from one of our services, OSBA, Ohio School Boards Association, um, that compiles what they call a policy development quarterly, and that's predominantly coming from the state house. It's, it's the Ohio Revised Code. And so being able to interpret what that means um, I think is, is crucial. I actually replaced an attorney that was leaving the board, so carrying through with that experience. Um, and then when we draft our own policies that come from the minds of the the members, the administration, people in the community that give us an idea, and we say, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's talk about that. Um, being able to draft that in a way that is legal <laughs> is incredibly important so that it, you know, aligns with what's allowed and and what isn't but more than that attorneys are first and foremost you know they and i know they get a bad rap for this but we're supposed to be peacemakers um we're supposed to be people who get two sides who may be inherently adversarial Mm -hmm. and bring them together we'll we'll fight when we have to and and we do because that's what i do every day i'm a like i said labor employment plaintiff side that means if you get fired you call me i'm not i don't represent the company i represent People who have been discriminated against, race, sexual orientation, sex, gender, um, uh, disability status, age, veteran status, things like that. And they say, well, you know, sometimes you've just been wronged. But at the end of the day, you're trying to get people together on something and we come to a well, predominantly a settlement, right? Something that we say, well, this is something that you want, something that I want, and we can you have a meeting of the minds. But being able to do that in a political sense or in a community-wide sense is crucial to get people who may have very different opinions on the same page and then knowing when to walk away and then knowing when to say, you know, we're not going to agree on this. And sometimes it's just, I got to fight for, you know, in my profession, my clients, but, you know, in the political sense, my constituents. And sometimes one constituent may want to be doing, you know, do something that is adversarial and, and could be harmful to a number of other constituents. And you got to say, where where is that line where we can meet? And where is that line where we say, you know, we can't, and having the skill set to, to be able to do that. I took courses in negotiation, mediation, uh, alternative dispute resolution. <clears throat> That's a, it's a skill set. It's not just something that you are born with. It's something that you have to practice and that you're trained for. I'm going to turn to one of these guys for a question here in a second, but just to kind of follow on to that, that ability to synthesize, <clears throat> right, to create that uh, understanding that it will always be a collaborative government process between an entity that's so enmeshed in all these different levels of governance like schools, public schools, and city uh, council, things of that nature, township government, because they provide so many services, all that has to continue working. But uh, as other candidates have pointed out, the nature of that collaboration can sometimes be rough, grinding, slow-paced or fast-paced, 
uh, can go through periods of stress and strain. And um, I think what we've seen more in Hilliard over the course of my time here, which is about 20 years now, is just kind of like an atrophy of those relationships where the things just kind of went in their own directions absent the participation. And I think maybe what we're seeing now is some of that rough and uh, rough start to uh, this interplay as we hit another growth phase and another growth phase and another growth phase. You can't get around the nature of collaborative government. Uh, you have to engage with it always in an ongoing way. So that's kind of what we're trying to do here with some of these interviews and with Kevin's writing. Um, what do you think about uh, some of these school board issues that we're seeing this year? I know you've had the SRO question. If you want to pose that now, that might be a good a good way to ask a, a school board-specific related question since Brian's looking for that type of information. Okay. That was a question that we've asked some other candidates. Uh, Councilman Les Carrier brought this up, um, that he thought uh, a need should be explored or the need should be explored to have an additional SRO in the school districts. Um, do you have a view on what information is needed first to to vet that to, to, to know whether that's the answer um, I think I shared in an earlier podcast that that oftentimes you know I, I think you know parents are the start of how these children are, are raised when they enter the school system what what their uh, behaviors and what they've been taught I don't know that necessarily having additional officers would prevent that behavior they would just be there to respond to it when it occurred uh do you have any views on i mean what's your view on best practices to try yeah. to uh to, to try to address uh those sorts of things that happen in the school if there's ever any um you know fights and things like that yeah so this is something that came up during um my 2019 campaign but kind of Throughout, you know, school safety has been huge with me. And really, when it comes to SROs specifically, that's one of many, many tools that we're using. Mm -hmm. We've already revised our communication systems so that our officers have direct links with the school district. We've um, added additional cameras. Um, we've added additional door locks, hard, you know, physical barriers to entry if necessary that can be undone by law enforcement, but not anyone else so that people are protected. It's, it's layers. But as far as SROs specifically... Um, this, this this came up before. Um, well, we have actually expanded them since I uh, became a board member. I saw there was a need where we had a one-to-one -one, um, SRO in all of our high schools. Each building has an SRO, and each middle school and has middle one. schools. The expansion was adding SROs in the middle schools, correct? Right? But we've actually expanded okay. it beyond that. And it's not just SROs necessarily; it's also school safety officers, which may be retired police officers. SROs right. come straight through the police force. So I, know, I know one of the one safety of officers, mm -hmm. um, and he was a former SRO. And is he still? Is, he still, is, Bar, is Bob Park? He's still mm -hmm. doing that. Mm -hmm. okay. he's, I think he's a safety officer now, though he's not an official SRO. But okay. what we did right, was the safety officer. He's still a safety mm -hmm. officer. Yeah. Okay. And what we had was um, we <clears throat> had a part-time individual. I believe it was Bob Parky, a uh, part-time individual who was over essentially all of the elementary schools. We had one in each high school, one mm -hmm. in each middle school, and now they would you know, the nearest person to uh, the middle, the elementary school. If you have a high school right next to an elementary school and you have, you know, Avery, Weaver's going to pull over and they're going to come over from the mm -hmm. middle school or something. But we didn't have a full-time dedicated individual just dedicated to our elementary schools. I thought that we needed one. And since that point, we have added um, that. So now we have a dedicated individual for that. But I'll say this, you can overdo a good thing. Um, first of all, you can... You know, it, it depends on the school district. It depends on the police force. It depends on the relationship you have. You know, look at Worthington, look at Columbus. They had a different relationship. And I don't think that works in Hilliard. I think that what we're doing in Hilliard has been working. We've talked to our community about this. We've talked to our students. We've talked to a diverse uh, grouping of students because there were some concerns about, you know, racial disparity. And, and we talked to those individuals. And they've told us that they're very happy with the way things are going. We bring, you know, the community together. You talk about bringing folks together. Brought our law enforcement officers in and, and talked with them to make sure that we're all on the same page of what the role is and what uh, what the role is and what it is not. Um, it's not a disciplinary role. It's a safety role. Um, discipline goes to the administration and the teachers. Um, but we've had these conversations directly with, I've spoken with the police chief of Dublin. I've spoken with the police chief of uh, Hilliard. And what they've told us is actually... Um, they are very comfortable with the number that we have, and actually any more would start to pull from the officers 
on the force that they would actually start straining a little bit um, to support an additional SRO. So, you know, we have 14 elementary schools. Um, we cannot have 14 SROs. That's the mm-hmm. entire police Seventh or eighth biggest district in the whole state. I think so. we're, we're, we're eighth or ninth, depending on when you ask and, and what the metrics are. But um, so they, they've said that they're very comfortable with where we are now. They said that we are about as safe as far as that goes as we can be. And anymore in the elementary schools, we just don't see the numbers that warrant that um, as far as, you know, any kind of situations. And it starts pulling from their their police force for the rest of the community. Mm -hmm. It's a collaborative effort with the whole community entirely. You know, you talked about overlapping jurisdictions and whatnot. We have yeah Dublin proper, a school building in Dublin proper, school building in Columbus proper, a large part of Columbus proper, Hilliard. Brown Township, Prairie Township, Norwich Township, Washington Township, Franklin Township, mm-hmm. and all of these <clears throat> are, you know, layers that we have to deal with on all kinds of different ways, zoning and 100,000 100, people, and that's significantly more yeah. than the population of the city boundary of Hilliard. The majority of people uh, in the school districts live outside of the city Outside of Hilliard. Hilliard outside the majority the of our land proper. mass is outside of Hilliard yeah. proper as well so your your real essentially the real estate footprint of the school district is outside of the city of hilliard we we crossed two county lines wasn't it so uh, we go into union county yeah wasn't it paul that mentioned the the naming of hilliard city schools was kind of problematic because it was not anything to do with the city per se it's just decided Derby local was, I think original it was. name was decided Derby local school thank district you. Mm-hmm. thank you up until g1980 thank you I senior think. partner of the enterprise <laughs> i do appreciate mm-hmm. the uh, the the historical fact check there uh yeah that's interesting i think it's it kind of touches a little bit on kevin's point about um the whole student right the student is obviously the part that the teachers and and the administration engage with in the schools but they're also the the kid that's out here in the city. How does how do you view the school's role in being an interface to different city programs, different parts of city life? Like, how does that interaction start and stop at the school door for sure. the for the schools with kids as they as they exist outside? Because I've got to say. Uh, I would love to see more public health budget in the city of Hilliard's annual budget uh, compared to the paltry amount it is now. But it's because of how these systems are layered over each other, they don't get the attention they deserve. So I think more public health spending would improve various numbers of students' conditions going into those school doors, and you would pass them back out into Hilliard proper in better condition. Uh, if they come in in better shape, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So how does that kind of continuum, do you think, play out on a day-to-day basis with Hilliard City Schools, with the city at large, with the kids and student population, that continuum of life? Sure. Um, well, I mean, you can't really go to the, the school district here without being a part of the community. That's just how really civic life works you're part of multiple different organizations at any given time these folks may be in optimist they may be in 4-h they may be in you know go to karate and and you know maybe their parents on a small business and maybe they're helping out uh doing that kind of thing so really um our goal is always to be ready for tomorrow and that includes you know being able to exist in the world Today, we make our students aware of a number of different programs. We try to welcome them in, offer volunteer opportunities. It's it's a symbiotic relationship where, yes, we send the, the kids off you know, into the world um, and make them aware of all the wonderful things the city has to offer, but we also bring a lot of this into the buildings themselves. They're public, well, they're <laughs> semi-public spaces where we open our doors to allow the community to to come in and uh, a lot of these programs people use our school buildings Optimus uses our school buildings as well so we're really facilitating this back and forth now that's after school hours of course we have a job to do and make sure that student is uh, student is educa- educated uh, during that educational instructional time but um, but it doesn't end there right uh, that student goes off when the bell rings they leave and what are they going to go do well hopefully something productive or something fun and sometimes you just got to take your mind off of things but really giving them the opportunity to say here are the wonderful things the city's doing 
um, and then trying to provide for them that way. Yeah, incorporate as much of that as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've, your kids are involved in the theater program, right, through uh, the Hilliard uh, Creative Arts uh, Council and those type of things, and, and your wife's been involved in staging productions, and a lot of times those get put on in the high school auditoriums because they have better seating, better sound uh, equipment and things of that nature, so that that um, that interfaces there and a lot of those creative pursuits too for sure interesting yeah we just did Mary Poppins not too long ago that was put on and we we had a um, a collaborative uh, grouping of folks who were talking about how parents can identify if their students are you know using drugs and and how you know we can help in that respect and that was all hosted in our schools as well we had a partnership between um, an organization that works on recovery and we had the law enforcement officers come in we had our um, director of health and well-being come in from the schools and so again it's it's, it's very collaborative in the sense of what are they doing outside the schools it impacts what happens in the schools and what happens in the schools impacts what happens outside and so we had multiple layers of folks up on stage at um, I believe it was Darby um, bringing everybody in to say like well here's different layers of all segments of society coming together because we are a cornerstone of the society school districts are really the foundation of what your community looks like oftentimes um but that it's a mutual two-way street here yeah it definitely has a schedule uh control in households with kids the school system runs that calendar (laughs) pretty pretty sufficiently it absolutely does and in many cases you know the city where where you live especially if you are of you know childbearing age if you're a family it's like the quality uh, and reputation of the of the school system that is local to you is essentially almost completely contiguous with how the quality of the town you live in is judged perception full perception and really truthfully it's a decision point for a lot of a lot of people a lot of families it's why i live in hilliard it's why most people live in hilliard we know for a fact that that is the number one reason people move to this community is because they looked up the schools saw that they were pretty darn good and then they decided to come and move in here that's the number one draw for our community that affects everything that affects what businesses can go up who's being patronized by those you know those uh those parents that come in and move here um, that really is the major draw. And we're also the number one uh, largest employer in the community as well. So, When you're dealing with that many people, when you're dealing with change on scales like you would have to anytime something in a school district this large changes, talk a little bit about some of the reform efforts that you've seen move through education <clears throat> here locally uh, and evaluate some of their effectiveness for us. Tell us a little bit about your experience on the board in that way. Okay. Well, we've done a lot of work with this. Um, one of the major reform efforts that we've done uh, is a program called Portrait of a Learner. Um, we've changed it. It was Portrait of a Graduate. Now it's Portrait of a Learner. And we brought in over 400-plus people, community members, teachers, students themselves, from all kinds of perspectives, some folks who couldn't possibly disagree more on things and some folks who agreed on a lot of things. Um, and those reform efforts, we wanted to say what direction do we want to head for the future? And how do we want to pick that direction? And what we decided to do was that we wanted to bring the community in. And through this collaboration, again, um, we managed to set ourselves, you know, a, a North Star to say, let's make a Hilliard learner look like this, something the community valued and said, this is what they ought to know to be able to do um, so we talk about educational reform, it's not just, you know, how are they going to learn, but really why are they going to learn? What's the, what's the end goal here? Learning for knowledge sake, but to do, to do what with that? Um, and we allowed a community to come in here and directly guide us as far as what they want to see us for the future. So That sounds then, pretty ambitious, I and mean, I imagine ongoing. It, yes, and it took months to do that, even to, uh, to get our major points down but um yeah and it is it is ongoing with a strategic plan it's it's really the cornerstone of what our strategic plan is going to look like um but the number one point of the strategic plan already before it's even been finalized is really a focus on um, thinking and learning which of course it is but 
Um, again, it's 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 how, and then it's why to to what end. That's more speaking about like the classroom models, instruction. I mean, what what kind of interaction does a strategic plan have with a master facilities plan, which kind of grades out the quality of the infrastructure and services, and kind of recommends things based more on technical or, or logistical basis as opposed to something as obviously artful as artfully titled as portrait of a learner right. exactly. um that's that's something that uh i wish some of my instructors had in front of mind when they were trying to beat calculus into me but uh i i just as i lose my train of thought making a little joke at my own expense but Talk a little bit about the difference maybe between some of those hard analytics behind a facilities plan and some of the more um, uh, theory or structure-based reform that goes into something like Portrait of a Learner. Sure. So Portrait of a Learner is very you know theoretical. It, it involves a lot of um, big picture whys and, and things like that. But then the strategic plan and the master facilities plan are really the hows. You know, how do we get to that end? Um, you talked about um, what we call educational adequacy, and that's when you take a building, you assess it for, you know, is it doing what it's supposed to be doing? Um, the major thing that came out of our portrait of a learner was our community wanted empathetic citizens. So how, well, how do you do that? How do you create an empathetic uh, learner, someone who can put themselves in other people's perspective. Well, you think from their perspective, you'd say, well, what if I was in their shoes? What would I need? What would I do? One of the concrete things that then filters straight into the master facilities plan, we just renovated um, Ridgewood and we added an ADA accessible restroom that we didn't previously have because we assessed it for um, academic adequacy, educational adequacy. And we saw that that was not adequate for students who, you know, may have some kind of disability. And if I'm not wrong, Ridgewood is also kind of doing the modular thing right now. Is that Mm -hmm. right? They've got additional classrooms they're dealing with a larger population bulk at the moment right what about what about redistricting is that something that you've had to deal with or you've had to think about or consider as far as how hilliard is drawn and apportioned as far as the the student population load yeah absolutely um redistricting decisions are are hard because people move in in different areas they don't all move in um evenly distributed across the district they may move into one um attendance area versus another and one of the ways we've actually tried to you know reduce the burden of what redistricting can look like because sometimes it can be harsh and you know i've always gone to this school or i've always gone to that school and then the lines get shifted and whoever wasn't where they were before you know isn't necessarily happy with it but one of the ways we've done that is by again with that educational adequacy looking at our buildings our actual facilities we realize there's some buildings that are pretty darn close together um and one of those examples is the what's now Alton Darby Creek campus. Those two buildings have the exact same physical footprint, but one building had almost twice the number of students as the other. They were 200 feet apart. And rather than redistricting the entire district, we could kind of stretch that out a little bit by, you know, uh, reapportioning kind of how that works by a grade level distribution. We did uh, K, well, in their case, pre-K, through two and then three through five and by spreading those students out across you no longer have students where they have you know 17 person classrooms while the other uh while the other school has 28 person classrooms you no longer have one building that has five empty rooms while the other building has you know closets being used for academic space um, and bringing in folks from, you know, wherever we can put them. classes in the media center right. or whatever, just kind of exactly. breaking the breaking the format <clears throat> for right. reasons beyond the, the control of people. Right. So, and that reduces the need for redistricting. It stretches the time period a little bit in that way so that we don't have to make drastic district-wide changes. We're using the resources we already have, but we're using them better. How – oh, go ahead, Tim. Right. Go ahead. It gives you a little more wiggle room to, instead of keeping the – the class structure of each school the same and then abruptly moving this tract of housing into the other school so nope you're all going here now which could be very disruptive combine the student bodies and split them up that way so it's that it's i went through that Mm -hmm. um it's still disruptive but uh 
in a different and probably more palatable way for folks and it certainly gives you more flexibility right yeah uh, it's it's it, to any changes facilities that way. any change is going to be difficult but oh, it's sure. but it's minimizing the disruption to the you know majority of the people rather than doing a district wide we were able to at least have those folks and we still were able to bus you know folks from one <laughs> the kids from one building to the other so they could be picked up at the same location so and it was a learning curve for us it was the first time that that had been done um and it was a learning curve, but I think ultimately, and now things are kind of that they've been rolling, people understand what they can expect, they're not being shuffled back and forth, they're, they're going all the way through as a track now. Um, I think ultimately that was better for everybody, it reduced, you know, it, it, it evened out the class sizes across the buildings that were right next to each other. One thing I don't know historically is why I was moved between two elementary schools when I went to school, I started kindergarten at Beacon, got sent to JW for first and second grade, and then back to Beacon for third grade. I'm not I sure why. Couldn't, couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a while ago. Predates Brian, even though that predates was... Predates me? Mm, 2009. I think it was a little earlier. <laughs> earlier than that. Yeah. Still more fun there. Um, uh, going back on to um, collaboration, we've discussed about collaboration here. Mm. And um, I think it is important that um, the school district, city council, township trustees, and other entities... Um, do uh, talk to each other and collaborate, yet each mm-hmm. also have a distinct responsibility to whom they represent and to the positions for which they were elected. Uh, you had shared at a board meeting um, that you thought there was perhaps better paths than resolutions directly directly expressing uh, concern. There was discussion at the board meeting as to word parsing, but Um, essentially um, you had shared that there's a better approach to this than to pass a resolution addressing city council on its comprehensive plan. What do you think, or what would you see as the best approach to discuss with another government entity that might be considering something that could possibly have um, undesired effects on the school district? Sure. Yeah, that, that, I mean, I I don't want to poo-poo anything here, but um, rezoning always affects the schools and we do have an obligation to be considering what the impacts of those are a lot of that happens in columbus um Mm -hmm. and quite frankly we don't have a great relationship with uh columbus they don't seem to really care what we think we make up a small percentage of the students that they have um although if you add up all of the suburban districts around it makes up a decent chunk of the students uh in columbus proper um but no, I think there was another way to go about doing that, to have a, a relationship based in respect, not an accusatory one. Let's let's learn about what's going on first, um, and a lot of us did. I think that's what's being overlooked is that a lot of us did put in time. There's an over 160-page community plan, and I read it, um, and I wasn't getting the same impact that I think that some of my colleagues got from that, the same takeaway. And then I went and I talked to folks who pass the plan. I, I talked to folks who, the majority of which in city council, passed the plan. Um, it was a bipartisan effort, majority conservative, um, and then a couple, you know, Democrats on there as well, because it is partisan positions on city council. But uh, I talked to the city manager about this, and I wanted to learn, well, what does the plan actually do? Because I'll say, I told them all straight out, if this is going to be unfettered residential growth full of apartments, bringing kids all over the place, well, I'm not in favor of that. Um, I don't think anyone is. And I learned, I was right, no one, no one is in favor of that. That's just not something that anybody thinks is a good idea. Um, but I think there was another way to do that. We could have had, for example, uh, a discussion item. We could have had that same discussion without the action item at the end of the day, which was um, a demand of city council mm. to pause, to um, reconsider, or I think they said express concern. Well, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about that. Let's let's figure out if we, as a board, agree we want to express concern. Um, let's let's discuss this as a group here, and that goes both ways. I can't even uh, tell you how many times other elected officials have records requested the board and the board members when they could have just asked. And there's a level of professionalism. I think that that's lacking. We had a city councilman a while back who records requested like 200 plus pages of documents, most of which were just on the website, which, you know, that that showed me that there wasn't that level of respect for the other organizations. You know, I've never done that. If I had a, a concern or a question, 
I'll call up people I have that kind of relationship. I can call them up. I can ask them what they think is an elected official, and they can do the same with me. And they have, uh, and they have. Um, but really kind of having that level of respect is where it starts. We're talking a lot at each other. We're not talking a lot to each other. And that goes, you know, across the board where we shouldn't get to the point where the communication breaks down so far that we're making sweeping statements on each other. We should have pretty much already had that discussion. And then if somebody does something anyway, well, then that's a different situation. But we should really not be at that point very often. Sometimes we're just going to disagree. Sometimes the city wants to do something the school district doesn't want to do, vice versa. But that being said, you still disagree with respect, and you usually shouldn't be making these vast public declarations. I, and I said this during the board meeting. I, you know, I have opinions, and then my colleagues have opinions too, which they've expressed in their individual capacities. Um, some of them have testified at the state house in favor of, you know, certain bills or opposed to others. Um, you know, I have my ways of advocating with uh, various folks at the state house, state representatives, mm-hmm. state senators, and things. I have a lot of concerns with what the state house is doing, especially as it relates to public education. I'm not sure that I want to make a district-wide declaration about that. I think that's getting a little in the weeds with it um, when we're trying to focus on, you know, what's happening here locally. But I do think there's that individual advocacy component. But when you get to that district-wide level, and especially when it's not uniform or you're not, it's it, there's a difference of opinion. And while we can't discuss this beforehand. There was an indication, I think, of where people stood on that to know that this was not a board in unison on mm. their opinion about that particular agenda item. Sure. We, we, we were not. And so when you have that, all you did was um, elevate and I think expose a lot of these deeply held divisions. It did not show unity in our community. It did not show unity on our board. And you don't always have unity. I'm not saying you have to, but when you're making a declaration to another agency, all you did to that agency was expose the division. And the majority of the other agency, it's not really a topic of debate for them. It was really um, the majority of all the spectrum of folks and opinions there agreed with a pretty innocuous standard 10-year plan that Mm -hmm. they're obligated to do. It's really two individuals that were very far outside of where the majority of city council was that's now somehow creeping into school board politics in a way that I don't think represents the mainstream at all. Um, And I wish we would have discussed that first before we decided to have an action item declaring concern. You can find the story online. Uh, The resolution that Brian's uh, speaking of uh, failed. Uh, two to two. Um, uh, board member Nadia Long was absent and therefore only four voting members were present and hence the two-two split. So, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to, and people have heard me speak for long enough on all this stuff, that they know my ideas center around recurring structures that provide ongoing engagement as a way to bring people back together even when they fall apart because there is no end to this work. There is only Mm -hmm. (laughs) the continuance of the work. So uh, I think what we're running into and what we're kind of going through in this election cycle is essentially that charging of the emotional valence in some of these issues Mm -hmm. to create election campaigns. Mm -hmm. And I think there are various moves within that that are more or less dubious or or laudatory. Uh, I think, uh, generally speaking, it's that ongoing engagement that we need to strive for because elections come and go. Elections should come and go. But that (laughs) 10-year plan is going to be there for 10 years and making pronouncements and things like that that are based in rhetoric as opposed to uh, policy or the understanding that uh, this is a city and this is a county and this is township governance and all these different layers of uh, interactive agencies working together uh, to try to provide good quality of life for every resident and every student here. Uh, I just think think it's the reality of what life is. We just kind of go through these cycles, and it, it can be a challenge. Tim, do you have something to add? Well, what we're finding is uh, 
declarations and pronouncements and those kinds of things are a poor substitute for a, a deep understanding of yeah. the dynamics, the actual documents, um, and and the relationships of our various boards, our various entities. Yeah. I, so part of the work that we're doing here is doing the deep dives, doing the digging, talking with people connected to it in an, in an effort to a reach a deep understanding of what the community plan means, mm -hmm. what the role of the school board is, if there is any in relation to that and, and moving forward, uh, having done the work to understand it very, very well. So thank, you know, thank you for coming in and helping us uh, you know, make available the processing of of these uh, modes of thought without making bold statements, without making demands. Well, you're trying to build the base of information for people so that they can get that ongoing engagement this is, and and this work is, and work productively, work with integrity. Right. I, uh, and this is difficult. This is kind of arcane, difficult stuff. So the work. The work to come to an understanding of it is well, and that's the I think that's the big thing too for elected officials to realize is that yeah, it, a lot of the campaign you know you campaign in poetry, you govern in prose, right? Mm. And um, but a lot of this work is not the the flashy headline of the day. It's it's talking about renovating a restroom in an elementary school after doing a four month master facilities plan to try to make something better it's really the actual work that we're doing and to you know the the board has two different kinds of meetings the school board does we have business meetings um, and we have the work sessions business meetings you have public participation people like to go to those because it does have that flashpoint um, the work sessions are as important or more important those are where we do presentations mostly to the board but also to anyone who's you know, in the public that wants to come and attend and learn things is where we do the work. Mm. And those, it's it's sad to me that it's so poorly attended where people aren't really interested in what the work of the school board is and what we're actually doing, but they want to go talk about some topic that half the time the school district is is not even is not even discussing other than it being part of some kind of, you know, national rhetoric, this flavor that they think is coming down to Hilliard. And I tell them it is not yeah transposing the the national show of uh perpetual elections perpetual uh what do you call it horse race politics all right. that stuff trying to impart that down at municipal levels well that's exactly it with the with the plan too. there is no there's no there's no uh reason to do it because the reason that stuff exists is to sell ads and to draw eyeballs and things like right. that the reason this stuff should exist is to a draw eyeballs yes but to uh engage in the process to bring people in exactly um, right let me uh let me turn just briefly and this might expand a little bit actually you you talked about the two different types of sessions um, and you mentioned about fiscal responsibility and mm -hmm. some of that component and how that goes in. I know Hilliard City Schools has been considered uh, within the last 10 years to be a very good steward of taxable resources because they haven't come back to uh, the city and residents for any kind of increases recently. Right. I know that eventually those things happen as mm -hmm. bills do come due and, and, and time moves on. Inflation does unprecedented things, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you a little bit of time to talk about that if you like. But also talk a little bit about the role that the school board now has to play in approving tax increment financing for use in very big projects. I'm talking, you know, hundreds and hundreds of apartments being approved uh, for TIF financing uh, in the True Point complex, and that has got a significant commercial component, significant parking components, all these different things that have been greenlit and, and now uh, subsidized via TIF, but the schools have been made part of that process. So if you could talk about that as well. So two-part question, overall fiscal responsibility and what your views are on that, but then that new authority to play a part in TIF decisions, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, fiscal responsibility is incredibly important to be a good steward of, you know, the money of the taxpayers, because yes, we are trying to educate students but that takes money to do that 
and you can't overburden the residents in the meantime. Um, you've really got to balance all of these things out. And part of what we did before we had this one-year rollover of the last uh, you know, um, certified uh, employees' contracts was we renegotiated the pay scale. And part of that uh, was a give and a take. And, you know, some folks got some things that they wanted. Some folks didn't get some things that they wanted. Again, any good negotiation. But part of the result of that was that uh, we were able to save over $1 million a year annually uh, for taxpayers in that process. And that process went through, and it was difficult at times. I was the only board member that was there all three days of negotiations. I was there for 12-hour-long days. We were going, got to call it, and, you know, it's, it's 11 o'clock, and we go home kind of thing. And, and we thought we had a deal, and then we didn't have a deal, and we had to come back a third day. And, and throughout that process, uh, it was difficult. But we got something done that I think that everyone was – about as happy was with as they could be. Um, the, our certified employees passed that contract. Eighty-four um, percent was very well received, um, and part of that we got class caps was the counterbalance to that to make sure that if a teacher has uh, more than a certain number of students and it changes by grade level um, in their class, that they're being compensated appropriately for that because they're doing more work. It's more differentiation. It's more papers to grade, and we don't want to have, you know too large of class sizes and it encourages the school district to make sure we're planning appropriately so that we don't do that because we don't want to pay that either right so it does a lot of things but that's one way we've we've done you know financial stewardship we've also reduced their administrative budget um we stretched a four-year levy out to we're going to go on eight years now and part of the way we did that was we tightened our own belts we said we're the lowest um administrative budget in the county and we thought cool we're wasting the least amount of money well, wasting the least amount of money is still wasting some. And we thought, is there a way that we can look at even this uh, that we're succeeding at and say, is there more that we could do without harming people? I always say, you know, you're cutting fat, not flesh. You got to know when to stop cutting as well. But through that process and, and through attrition, uh, people move out, folks will retire or they'll go somewhere else um, through attrition and then consolidation. We've been able to reduce, uh, I think we're down to 10 administrative positions now. We're saving between 700 and a million, uh, 700,000 and a million dollars a year on top of the renegotiation from the teachers. These are now millions coming back in or going back into the classroom, staying in taxpayer pockets. <coughs> and you talk about, yeah, the, the, the school's rule to play and beyond just that level of financing, but also um, that's, you know, expenditure reduction, but also income. And that's part of where the TIFs come in. Um, yeah, we have a, a responsibility there as well. We did not take the first offer that TruePoint gave us. We had an obligation to the community to do a little better, and we did. Um, now, that development, um, if it looks anything like some of the apartments that, that are over on Britain Parkway, over by Giant Eagle, um, those apartments by the, by the goat that way, they bring in less than 40 students total. Um, we've got to understand that all apartments do not look the same. The largest, um, you know, grouping of, of housing category that brings in students is single-family homes. Um, and there's a question about how much that house has to be worth, and the answer is the house, it doesn't matter. <laughs> if you don't have a student, it doesn't, you know, the property taxes come in and there's no expenditure from the student. But on average, it's a game of averages. You know, we looked at the true point development as something that was you know, positive for our community that overall um, we do benefit from it and financially without having really too terribly much downside from a school standpoint. Um, we were happy to work with city council, Norwich Township, you know, some of these same folks who were saying, well, don't put up apartments everywhere. I, I, there's a picture of them with a shovel at the groundbreaking. Um, so it really comes down to when and where you want different things. So rezoning, we talk about that, but it's really picking when and where. And the school district has an active role in that. Um, we also are a large landholder. So in some of these areas, we've sold land to the city to create a larger parcel for them to you know, attract a different buyer, a buyer that was not a residential buyer. It was a commercial buyer. Um, so that you know, we're, again, offsetting those residential taxpayer dollars with commercial uh, income so that we're not overburdening the taxpayer, so that we're not, you know, increasing, um, in, you know, the strain on the infrastructure and things like that. That was a, um, a commercial unit that uh, brought in, you know, a decent amount of 
was payments in lieu of taxes, but still it could have been a park and it would have, you know, reduced or at least uh, not brought in additional strain on infrastructure, additional strain on our schools. Um, but really that was a, that was a net benefit to the community. We have an absolute role to play, but that's collaborative again. That's us collaborating with the city. We're not putting a hard, fast no on it. We're saying we need something too because we're a part of this community just like anybody else's. And that's kind of the way that we did that. And as it's gone over the years, uh, power has uh, acceded nothing without a demand, as everyone uh, Mm -hmm. knows. And I think that as TIF existed, it does not exist now. As it used to cut schools out entirely, as it used to cut townships out entirely, it's not how it is now in Hilliard specifically, well, uh, operating in a hybrid. Uh, in other parts of uh, this state, it's following a similar path to the one that got it outlawed in California back in the 70s when they totally uh, mothballed the entire system for becoming uh, way too burdensome and way too much of a concentration of those previously mentioned payments in lieu of taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think... The Swiss cheesing of the underlying infrastructure is something that can't be uh, disregarded. The idea that some of these adults with developmental disabilities and other democratically voted purposes for taxpayer revenues and and funds shouldn't necessarily be determined by small rooms of people thinking about their own responsibilities to their school board position or to their city council position, but not necessarily thinking about some of the larger taxable uh, decisions that that are being undercut by uh, those decisions being made uh, to pursue these kind of financing agreements. It's just one of those things that with complex financial mechanisms, people's eyes tend to go a mm-hmm. little bit white and <laughs> glaze over, and then you kind of understand in slow motion what's happening, uh, but the people who need those funds are understanding every day that they're not getting what they used to. So. Uh, as those numbers continue to rise, especially in Franklin County and here in central Ohio, as we're trying to pursue all this growth and, and manage it through all our different means, I think that's something to keep in mind. Tim, do you have a time count for me on your recording device, sir? I think you should have it there if our connectivity is what it should be. Brian, I want to let you know we're probably at about forty-four minutes. About 40 right. How are you feeling? Good. How's the voice holding up? Uh, it's it's doing it's doing uh, well. I think I forget how long the ISPTO uh, meet the candidates night was, but it was it was long, and they asked a, a lot of pretty good questions. Um, how different is it going through this? election cycle compared to previous i short sold you the first two the dry run as we'll call them uh and then i knew you uh in your successful previous bid obviously and then this one now how would you feel it's changed i think the big thing that's changed and and well this is something that i think that really is a unique perspective to me on the school board too but um yeah, I have I have lost races, and no one else that's currently elected to the school board has ever lost a race, and I think that absolutely colors my perspective on. I value uh, the position. I'm honored to be in the position, and it truly is something that I understand how difficult it is uh, to attain, and then the responsibility that you have with that. And I think that just became even more impressed upon me when I've been on the board for the past four years. And that's really how it's different is that I've always been, you know, this challenger, someone who wants to do, you know, new and different things. And I still do. If there's ever a time at which you rest on your laurels, you say, yep, I've done it. We're good. That's the time you retire, you leave. Um, But the difference now is that I really have this record that I'm very proud of the things we've been able to accomplish I mean, we're number one in value-added scores um, in the state of Ohio. That's phenomenal. You know, we're nine points above, uh, nine spots above Dublin. We're like 36 spots above New Albany, uh, six spots above Olentangy. That means that the students of Hilliard learn more, they grow more in a year than in any other school district in the state of Ohio. Um, That's phenomenal that we've been able to do that. We've, yes, been able to save over $1.7 million a year while doing that. Um, and yes, to Kevin's point, we've also expanded 
our school safety with, like you talked about SROs, we've actually expanded safety officers to a point that I think that it makes sense to have. Um, so there's this record. I think that's the big thing that's different <clears throat> is really one, valuing the position. You don't understand it until you're in it. You, you just, you just don't. Um, you don't understand what the weight is. And if you don't feel the weight when you're in the office, you're doing something wrong. Um, you really are. But then having this record that I can say, not, it's not, it's not perspective. It's not, here's what I want to do. And there's some things that I want to do still, but, um, it's not, here's what I could do. It's here's what I've done. I've shown you what I'm capable of doing. I have a record to run on. It's not make believe. It's not perspective. It's not theoretical. It's something that I've been able to accomplish. Should encourage people to believe you're adaptable to any situation that comes up in front of you. Sure. Uh, Coming up in the in in the next term, what do you see as the biggest the biggest challenge facing uh, the school board? What is uh, the the the, uh, the thing you're looking at that you think is going to be the uh, give you the most trouble over the next what four years? Yeah, well, that's an interesting question. I'm giving you an interesting answer, and it shouldn't be an interesting question. It really should be a pretty straightforward one. But the answer for me is always going to be. Um, this continued push for academics and making sure that we, we've just revised three different um, areas of curriculum. We've done math, we've done language arts and health and supporting our teachers as they go through this transition because it's not easy. Um, we're really asking a lot from them right now. I think ultimately it will be better. Um, it's, we're already seeing you know some dividends from this, but it's difficult right now. They're learning um, from scratch. Now next year they're going to have experience. They're going to be in the swing of things. They're already getting there. But that's difficult. This continued support and this continued refocusing on academics. And here's why I say this is an interesting question, because um, it's how do we refocus? That's the biggest challenge I think that we face. It's the academics, but it's this underlying tone of distraction. And that's something that we really need to make sure that we're eliminating as much as, as possible so that we can stay focused on the academics. We talk about all kind of things that people will bring to our attention that have nothing to do with, you know, our academic success, nothing to do with sometimes it's, preparedness. Well, sometimes it's nothing to do with Hilliard City Schools. Mm. I hear things that say, well, in Utah they're doing, or in Canada they're doing, and I say, well, in Hilliard we're doing not that, or we are doing something that may be different. Um, school districts are so... Um, as much as we bring in this national narrative and this and the statewide politics in the state house, we are local boards of education, and each community looks different. I don't want to look like Dublin. I want to look like the best version of Hilliard. Um, now Dublin has some great things that they're doing that we can learn from. Jonathan Alder has some great things that they're doing that we can learn from. Hilliard's doing a lot of great things that other districts have learned from, and they've told us that. Um, I meet with a lot of board members from around the county, all kinds of districts, different, they look different, and we learn from each other. But Hilliard's got to look like Hilliard. Um, so that's something that I think is incredibly important to note. But yeah, it's, it's, it's staying focused on academics, but also, you know, avoiding these distractions that come up. And it's difficult. That's what gets the attention. That's what's flashy. That's what people want to go to the board meetings to see. You got to avoid it. I have. Uh, I think I'm going to give it to Kevin here for maybe our last question. Kevin, please take it away. Just to end on a more casual note. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Peter Gabriel. Not Peter Gabriel. All right. Tom Petty. Okay. <laughs> in light of these instruments around here, Tim's a musician, by the way. So there's guitars over here and a drum set and amplifiers. But in light singing. of that and the musical genius of Tom Petty, who died six years ago today. I will ask Brian here. Have you seen Tom Petty in concert? I saw I him have, once. I have not. Okay. Any musicians of note that no longer can perform for us that you've seen? My first concert when I was uh, about five or six, believe it or not, was the Beach Boys. Oh. And uh-huh. I... John Stamos on drums or no? I don't think so. Okay. Just check. But I... Yeah, and I don't you think You were the right age for that. <laughs> I don't think that they're quite still performing the way they used to with uh, Brian being... Brian, <laughs> whatever yeah. he is up to. But. Who else? What else have you seen? Who else have you seen? Now? Well, now I'm going to date myself more, but um, Imagine Dragons. I saw them in Nashville. Um, who else have I seen in concert? I'm trying to even think. I haven't been to a ton of concerts where I'm just completely forgetting some recently. 
I want to see Ed Sheeran. Ed Gay Sheeran fan. Are we all going to get our Taylor Swift tickets? Are we going uh, to the movie at least? No. I couldn't I'll, afford. I'll I couldn't the afford movie. the concert. But. No, concert, no. Right? I'm I'm sell everything in this room. Well, Brian, I want to thank you for coming out tonight, uh, making our first ever evening sundown uh, show a, a wild success. Want to uh, wish you luck in the upcoming election, and uh, say thanks again to all our listeners and subscribers for making it possible for us to do this for you, uh, the listening public out here in Hilliard. As Brian said, as Tim said, as Kevin said, as I have said numerous times, this is for you, and it is uh, to help you get involved and to help bring you into a larger conversation where you can play your role as a citizen of this city. So until next time, I just want to say thank you and get that muffler worked on. And (laughs) have a great evening. Good night.